You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter today. And we got the series rolling along. I knocked off the AFC North. And then yesterday I did the NFC East in terms of draft reviews. And we have a great guest as we do every Wednesday, Mark Schofield. Mark is the host of Locked On Patriots, but if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be. He brings much, much more to the table than just Patriots talk. Mark is very well viewed in the whole league as well as uh, this draft class, particularly quarterbacks. And we have three of the teams, the non-Patriots, that have addressed the quarterback situation in the last two drafts. The Patriots drafted one this week, this year, too. So a lot of quarterback talk, but we're going to go team by team. And Mark, how are you? I'm doing extremely well, Mr. Williams. It's always a blast to be with you. And I will say, at the jump, it's odd to see as the Patriots fan, as a Patriots fan, the other AFC East teams just sort of, I dare say, crush it during the draft yeah. cycle. But I'm pretty impressed with what all three of these AFC East teams did. I love what they did with their first picks. I love how they addressed the needs. I love Miami with the Rosen trade. So I'm very impressed with what they did. And it gives me a little bit of pause headed into this sort of offseason cycle now, wondering about what's going to happen next year in this division. It's someday the, the Pats are going to fall. And all these teams might now have quarterbacks. They, I think all of them actually have plans. That hasn't always been the case over the, the Brady-Belichick tenure. And I think we all agree the Patriots coming off a Super Bowl win are still in pretty good shape in their their division without question. But you can see promise for these other teams. Oh, yeah, you you definitely can. And when you look at – and one of the things that I love about the draft itself is it gives you more than perhaps any other time on the calendar year – a window into the minds of the organization yes. and how they feel about their roster and the needs that they need to address and the things that they'll have to face in the year ahead. You look at the first pick by each of these other teams. Now, what's the book on Brady? It's interior pressure, right? Yep, yep. I was going to go there, yes. Ed no Oliver. <laughs> Quinn and Williams. Christian Wilkins. Exactly. Like, the Maybe the three best penetrators the in the three draft. Best <laughs> right. guys. So it's like, look, finally, we're going to get this guy to the ground, okay? And they've got three just horses, just, just rock-solid interior defensive linemen. Like you said, perhaps the three best added in this class, in this division now. And when you also look at now, three of the quarterbacks drafted in the first round a year ago are in this division. They're like, we're going to figure out quarterback. And now we've got guys that can move the pocket interior on the interior to get after Brady. Let's start with the Bills. And I bet they did somersaults when Oliver fell to nine. And <laughs> who knows if they tried to trade up or not. It's the ideal guy to add to this defense. Oh, it's just perfect. Because, I mean, think about it. You lose Kyle Williams, right? And so you need somebody to go up, pair with Harrison Phillips. I love when you look at roster construction put in pairs together. We've talked about it with safeties in the past on this, this show. We've talked about it at times with wide receivers, interior defensive linemen, getting guys that could be complementary to each other to get Ed Oliver in the first round. You know, when they heard the Daniel Jones trade, there was probably one organization, one group of people out there just doing backflips when Daniel Jones was picked at six. And it was the Buffalo Bills. And maybe when Cullen Farrell goes at four too. And when Claren Farrell, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. they knew, 
Oliver is going to fall in our lap. And there are so many different ways you can use him. He's so athletic. I don't think they're going to use him like Houston did as just a shade nose tackle type guy. They're going to move him around. He's going to be working against guards. They might drop him into the end at times. You know, you could see a situation where they do stunts and they have him bending around to the outside, use his athleticism, running the arc. I mean, this is just uh, you. You always hesitate to say home run pick right after a draft. This feels like a home run pick to me. Yeah, and it's exactly what. I mean, I 100% agree. And I had Joe Marino on. He hosts Locked on Bills, and he's a draft dude. And he, he pretty much had Wilkins pigeonholed here, saying that's exactly what we want, solid, you know, where Oliver's even better. Yeah. I mean, it's a situation where, look, if you could have gotten Wilkins there at nine, I think Bills fans would have been excited about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you would give consideration to go and maybe a Jonah Williams address an offensive line, but I think they, on all likelihood they would have stayed and drafted the defensive tackle. But to get Ed Oliver there is just – remember, this is a player that was talked about. Like, look, he's 101. You know, this time oh, yeah, last year, yeah, right. Ed, Ed Oliver is 101. He's the top overall selection. Maybe Nick Bosa, but Bosa, those yeah. were the two guys. Now you're getting him at nine? Hard to complain. Hard to complain with Cody Ford at 38, too. I mean, maybe he's not a tackle, but he's a Pro Bowl guard if not. They've put a ton of different – I mean, that offensive line is night and day compared to what it used to be. Uh, really have attacked it. And I see no reason why he should have fallen this this far. And I think, again, they just pounced on a guy that fell a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I love the way that Buffalo worked their board because Ford was talked about like a first-round offensive lineman. Then we get into the measurables and people start saying, oh, you know, maybe he doesn't have the length to play offensive tackle. People start saying, oh, he didn't have a lot of traditional pass sets. Offenses are changing, you know, so I don't think you can read too much into that. But they had a great player fall to them in the second round. I liked their picks in the third round. They needed a tight end, Dawson Knox, athletic-type guy. Maybe that Mississippi offense wasn't the best to truly evaluate him and some of the other skill players, but... They needed a tight end. Tyler Croft, eh, maybe. Right. You know, so you get Dawson Knox there. And Devin Singletary is an interested running back behind McCoy. And so you look at those first four picks, tremendous job sort of working the board and just finding value. Ford was a first rounder they got in the second. Knox was maybe a fringe second rounder they got in the third. And I know people might devalue running backs, but this is a nice complimentary piece to what LaShawn McCoy does. Yeah, I don't love the Singletary pick, and I know like a lot of people, I do a lot of Dynasty stuff for fantasy, people are saying he's going to be the the next guy in Bald- in Buffalo. I think he's always going to be a complimentary piece, which is fine. Yeah. I just He wouldn't have been the back I took, but I love the Knox pick. I think he's got tons of upside, could develop into a star. And then on the final day, they did have a fourth-round pick. Tommy Sweeney in the seventh round. I know he's not exciting, but I bet he plays a long time. Um, they also got Voshan Joseph, uh, who can run, and Joquan Johnson, a defensive back from Miami. Daryl Johnson, a defensive end from North Carolina A&T. Any, any thing jump out with you with the final day? I mean, I think the Sweeney pick is nice. I like when teams sort of double dip. Uh, I think Sweeney is one of those guys that, yeah, he's probably not going to blow the doors off for people. He's not going to move the needle a ton, but he's one of those steady TE3 slash maybe TE2 type guys mm-hmm. that might be a ceiling. They're probably going to stick around in the league for a while. And to get that in the seventh round, that's pretty nice value as well on day three. Right. And he's going to help the blocking, which has obviously been a theme. Um, and the receiving helps with not. I mean, obviously. The, the offseason was, let's make Allen's life easier with receivers and blocking, and they did both yep. <laughs> in a big way. Um, I have told you guys many times that back, I always think, when I talk about ZipRecruiter, I always think about my days 
sitting at my little desk at Pitt when I would get 30, 40, 50 VHS tapes a day and had to sort through them all and figure out who we wanted. And really, more importantly, was who we didn't want. I mean, do you know how many hours I spent watching kids and going, no, no, no. If I could, if ZipRecruiter would have been there for me and I just could have eliminated that aspect of it and just had a nice crop to pick from as opposed to all the nonsense, it would have been remarkable for me. And I always think about that with ZipRecruiter and that's exactly what they do for you on your job search. And what you got to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on, all one word, all lowercase. So ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the world of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matchup matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans through resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you can never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. I repeated that the other day too. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. That's remarkably efficient. So right now, my listeners can, tr can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. Again, all one word, lowercase. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, let's talk about the Dolphins. And, of course, we have to talk about Rosen. I think you and I had this conversation a couple times leading up to the draft. And for what they got him at, and then to trade down from 48 and pick up a future second in the process, may go down as the best move in the draft to me. Yeah, it certainly might, especially if he ends up living up to some of or perhaps all of the expectations of people like myself and you and others mm -hmm. have for him. I mean, cheap. Let's cheap. I mean, that's the bottom line here. The the word of the day, the word of the time right now in the NFL is economics, right? Maximizing that rookie quarterback time frame. And to get him cheap, locked up for the next couple of years with that fifth year option is sort of ideal. And yes, they've hinted that maybe they sort of address quarterback next year. They won't rule that out. And why would they, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Not maybe either. he doesn't live up to it. And so, but to get him for what they paid, I think it's a brilliant move. And it gives you the opportunity to evaluate him for an entire full season, perhaps building some things around him. And all you would really need to see from him is some development from him and perhaps contrast that with maybe we don't get the development we're expecting to from the Justin Herberts, the Tuas, the Fromms, the Eastons of the world. And maybe they say, look, we're okay. Or maybe they don't. Either way, it's a low-cost move for them. And a year when, let's face it, they're not contending for the playoffs in 2019. They're building for the future. This is an evaluation year for them. So why not get another quarterback to evaluate? I think, I think it's, again, a, a brilliant, almost no-brainer type move. And we were saying – 31 teams should have been in on the sort of the Rosen sweepstakes when it first came out that he was going to be available. And so I think Miami was really smart to make this move. Absolutely. And uh, leading into the draft, I said, I hope Miami builds an infrastructure first and then puts the quarterback in place. So it's not a golf year run one Rosen year one situation where somebody has no chance to succeed. But at this cost, I absolutely adore the pick and or the, the move. However, I did kind of chuckle to myself. 
you said that they're not in the playoff race. They are in the race for first overall pick. What if the exact same thing happens to Rosen again a year from now? <laughs> right. I mean, it. you it can't rule it out. Let, let's say he does struggle. And let's or say he's they okay. Do finish, you or know, he's he, like, he plays fine. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, here's the scenario. Herbert and Tua just light it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, six months from now, we're all saying, all right, they're living up to the hype. You know, and Tua Bengals comes should out. trade for Rosen. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, you know, Rosen does okay. You know, is it then still time to stick with him? So he might end up in the same situation. We might be looking for, we might be looking at him down the road saying this was like the Sam Bradford, right? Where he's just kind of like bouncing around from team to team, never really lives up to some of the hype around him. So that is certainly a possibility. What this does, I like it when teams give themselves options, right? Exactly. Look at some of the smarter teams, like say Seattle and John Schneider. He comes into this draft having what four picks? How many did he end up making? You give yourself more bites of the apple. Same thing with like teams, forward-thinking teams like the Eagles, like the Patriots. Mm-hmm. They accumulate some talent. They accumulate more draft capital for the next year. They use the comp pick market to sort of add extra options. Give yourself more bites of the apple. That's what Miami's done here. If they had just got into this year with Ro- with Fitzpatrick, then it's like they're all sort of in on the 2020 market now. They've got some flexibility where if Rosen pans out, great. If he doesn't, they're probably going to be bad. They're probably going to be picking near the top of the draft, and they'll have the flexibility to get whoever emerges from next year's pack. I think we agree that Wilkins is a nice building block on and off the field, low risk, fits a division, probably will move him around quite a bit. Not exactly a Patriots-like hog defensive tackle, but they'll use him in a variety of ways. I don't love in the end, though, including adding Rosen, and this isn't their fault, but they only ended up with two players in the top 150. So there's not enough building blocks in place, but that's just what they were dealt, and they do end up with some future picks. I really like the Dieter pick, though, in the third round. I bet he starts somewhere from day one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was watching last night some Chase Winovich to get ready to talk about him on Locked on Patriots, and I wanted to watch that Michigan-Wisconsin game. You know, and I, I do some work sort of covered Minnesota uh, for Rivals.com, and so I've got a chance to watch some Wisconsin, but I got a chance to see them again. Dieter in that off- Wisconsin offensive line, just fantastic, technically sound guys across the board. And to get him in the third, I think it was a fantastic pick. You know, I think you look at the guards they have right now, you know, Jesse David, Isaac Asida, Dieter's probably starting before we know it. Yeah. I think that's a great pick. I like Miles Gasket in the seventh round. Yeah. I do. I I think he fits that sort of James White type mold. Now, maybe there's some overlap there with Kenyon Drake. Maybe there's even more overlap with Kalen Balage. But I think Matt Gaskin sort of fits where the league is trending and how you can use a guy as a matchup player because he's one of those running backs when he comes into the game. Are you playing base? Are you playing sub? You can still run into the tackles a little bit. And so I think in a matchup type league, he's a nice little piece to have. Who knows if he sticks, but if he does, I think that would be a nice little piece for them. I think it's noteworthy that they drafted a fullback. Think Patriots. You know, this is going to be Patriots of South Beach. And I think Isaiah Prince, a tackle from Ohio State, considering the state of their line, I might throw him in at right tackle and say, let's see what you can do. Maybe you'll hit. Yeah. I mean, maybe you do. I mean, so I, I think that. You know, again, a couple of different bites of the apple. You, you get a guy that was looked at like, you know, maybe a, a guy that could be a nice piece type tackle. You look at a Tunzel, okay, but then some question marks after that at the tackle spots. Why not add some depth? And obviously yeah. he's played at a pretty high level, played against some pretty good players like Chase Winovich. And so, and so I think that was a nice add in the sixth round. Yeah, 
Add Lyman. I like that theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Jets add a stud Lyman. They, they too didn't have yeah. a lot of picks. They went Quinton Williams, Ja'Kai Polite, Chuma Adoga, Trayvon Wesco, Blake Cashman, and a guy I'm not all that familiar with, Blasson Austin from Rutgers. So they only added six dudes, but all those guys basically were brand name guys, and I think they did a nice job. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You're talking about, you know, getting the edge from Florida. He was a guy that was rumored to be perhaps a first-round guy. Right. Had a bit of a tough pre-draft process. Maybe didn't handle the media sessions too well to combine. Tested wasn't great. Struggled with a lower body injury at times. But to get him in the third, not bad. Blake Cashman, he got some round one buzz as we were getting into the late into the draft cycle. On the cusp of the draft itself, people were saying maybe he's the third linebacker off the board. They get him in the fifth. That's tremendous. Wesco is an intriguing H-back type guy. You know, you're looking at the R Lads depth chart on the Jets right now. He's listed at both tight end and fullback. Another versatile type player. You could come out in sort of a quote-unquote 12 personnel package with him, and you could see them, you know, using him as a tight end, or you could go base and put him in the I formation, use him as a fullback, you know, to get Chuma, the offensive tackle from USC. Again, like we were just saying with Miami, add offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. Add linemen. Guys go down. He needs swing tackle type guys, and he can fit that role. And then look, Quinton Williams, perhaps the best all-around player in this draft, perhaps the cleanest evaluation in this draft. He falls into their lap. Yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't have you know, objected to moving out of three, adding more picks. But you had possibly the best of, best player in this draft. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe yeah. it's not the biggest need, but it's very division centric, as we mentioned. Very low risk, very high upside. He's a stud. Um, polite, maybe he is not likable or not a good person. I don't know. I hate talking about character, but it, it I hate this. The, the, the whole off season process is so hard on these guys and these dudes are young. I mean, if you're 20, 21, 22 years old and some of these things rubbed you the wrong way, I don't know that that's going to mean you're not a helpful player to your team. Right. I mean, he's a kid born in 98. I mean, he's 21. I mean, I I don't know about you, Matt, but I can tell the listeners to this show that I was not the most mature 21-year-old. And if I were being judged on a national scale about the decisions (laughs) that I made as a 21-year-old, I'm not too sure people people would be that jazzed about who I was. Right. I'm not sure about adding Williams into my team. All right. Yeah, exactly. So you take this all with a grain of salt. Now, you know, the thing about him is you're getting him for a third. What's the hit rate on third-round picks to begin with? Mm-hmm. Even guys that have tremendously clean evaluations that have sort of knocked out of the park throughout the process. Even then, it's probably, what, 50-50 at best? best yeah. Now you're banking on upside. And to get him in the third round and bet on that upside, if he ends up panning out, that's one heck of a pick. He's a better player than those drafted around him in right. the 67-69 area. Um, I think Adoga, I think, will absolutely start. Don't know where. He might be Kelvin Beecham. You know, he might be the, you know, a smaller tackle type that can run or that can, you know, long arm athletic guy. You mentioned Wesco. I always thought he was a Rhett Ellison player, very different than Herndon. Probably won't get in Herndon's way, but it'll help with the blocking. 
and was inside linebacker a need after signing Williamson and Mosley the last two needs years? Absolutely not. But like you said, Cashman falls to 157. At worst, he's going to be the best special teamer in the league. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, what I mean, mean, and again, like we were talking about last week with some of these linebackers, special teams is a need mm-hmm. for every team. Like it, it's a three-phase game, and if you don't address it, if you don't add those guys late on day three that can contribute on special teams, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And I mean, and, and let's to go back to Joe Hodgepodge for a second. Some of the guys that were picked around him, Zach Allen, you know, from Boston College, who does some nice things, but probably not the athletic profile. Jalen Hurd picked right before him, who's a wide receiver convert that people were thinking was maybe a sixth round type pick. Like you're getting into the area where these players have holes. Now, maybe you can make the case that a cleaner pick might have been Chase Winovich 10 picks later, but still. Yeah. Winovich is 24, though. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not, you get it at 22nd. Right. Right. Um, We'll get into Winovich and the Patriots here in a minute. Of the three division rivals, do you have a draft that you like the most of these three? I have to, I'd say Buffalo, mostly yeah. because, look, they had more picks, and there maybe weren't as many holes to address. I think Buffalo's a little bit closer than some of the other teams. I think they're like to a step above the process of the other two, yeah. like a year ahead yeah. of them almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's fair. And so, you know, they're probably closer to contending next year, whereas the Jets, Miami, it's probably a two-year process we're looking at, maybe for Miami a three-year process. But I think Buffalo had a very nice draft. I think we talked about the – needs that they addressed, get on that over where they did, added a tight end. I think that was a very good draft. All right, we are back to talk Patriots, and it's always a good conversation, even if they only have a couple picks. But as usual, they have thrown a lot of people at the fan. I think Belichick is as smart as anyone and realizes that, hey, drafting is hard, and I'm just going to make as many picks as possible, even if I'm better at it than the average bear. I'm still going to miss a lot, but they didn't pick until 32, but they ended up with a first, a second, three thirds, two fourths, two fifths. I mean, you bring that to any team, that is an unbelievable infusion of youth. Yeah, and they had 12 picks coming into the process, and obviously they weren't going to use all of them, but they made a good number of picks. Yeah. Which was somewhat surprised, but they still gave themselves some flexibility in next year's draft. And of course, the comp pick market with Trey Flowers and Trent Brown, they'll get some extra picks along the way, and Chris Hogan as well. And at the outset, they had two players apparently earmarked for that pick at 32, Nikhil Harry and Joe Juan Williams. And they drafted hmm. both. I mean, if you're looking at a team sort of working their board, they seem to have done a pretty good job to get one at 32 and the other at that 45 spot. Now, you can quibble with their evaluations. You can say these aren't complete players. You can say that, you know, Harry doesn't separate or Williams is a press corner that sometimes struggles to press. Okay, you can quibble with the evaluation process. But if these were the two top players on their board and they got both of them, that's not bad picking from the 32 spot. I want to give you my impression of both them, and I know you've probably talked about them in nauseam, but I'm curious if you see it through my eyes or not, so I'm going to throw this out there. Harry, I'm sure will be used on the outside, but I think he's better as a slot. I think he's great after the catch. He's got great hands, big, but not a great separator, but by no means is he Welker or Edelman. I wonder if they see a little bit of Aaron Hernandez in him in terms of how to use him. I'm not saying he's going to line up as, you know, and be Gronk or anything like that, but I bet he's moved around a lot like Hernandez was back in the day. 
because his skill set isn't the same as Josh Gordon or Moss or Edelman or Welker or those type. So I think he's kind of a unique beast that they haven't had there in a while. And as for Williams, I know he's a press corner now, but I think he may end up being Chung. You know, that they play so much man and they want so much, such a variety of coverage people. I bet he plays a lot of man coverage on Travis Kelsey. You know what I mean? Like, I bet he does a lot of safety things. Call him whatever you want, though. Yeah, I mean, first of all, with Williams, I think you knocked the usage and scheme fit they pitcher for him out of the park, Matt, because and you use the name Travis Kelsey. Let's not forget when those two teams scored off twice last year, one of the players they used a lot in man coverage on Kelsey was Devin McCourty. Yeah. You know, right, a right, safety right. slash corner. I think they're looking at him as sort of the Brandon Browner type yes. role where he's gonna play some safety type stuff. He's gonna use they're gonna use him in man coverage on big slot types. They could use him in man coverage against tight ends like Travis Kelsey again. Drafts tell you what teams are worried about on their roster and what teams are worried about in terms of who they have to play and what kind of players they have to either match up against or defend or win routes against. And so the Williams pick is like he's a big slot, press corner type who can be used against tight ends. And so I think that's him. As far as Harry, I think the Hernandez thing is an apt way to use him. I think he's going to be a cross with Hernandez and Patterson from last year. They're mm-hmm. going to do some nice. things with him, smoke screens, After swing screens. Yeah. You know, use him as basically an offensive weapon, then maybe put him on the boundary at times and do some things with him on the outside. But he's not a birder deep, you know, but they'll use him on like comeback routes. They'll use him in combo routes with Edelman on the inside running options and he's running comebacks and force you to defend him that way. And I think he'll be used as a big slot not to run the option routes that you trust to Edelman, for example, or Welker and Amendola in the past. But let's not forget. The big drive against the Rams in the Super Bowl, that play they ran three times, Hoss wide juke with that seam route from tight ends in the slot. Neil can, Harry can give you that from the slot. So that's, I think, how they use him sort of a hybrid big slot boundary X type move tight end mm-hmm. and just find bits and ways they can plug him into their offense and do some things with them. There's some stereotypes of positions for the Patriots, and frankly, Winovich just fits one ideally. Oh. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean Let's face it, throughout the past couple of draft cycles, there have been a number of players that whenever they're mentioned or down at the senior bowl, whenever they do something, everybody around me turns at me and just gives me that look, right? It was Braxton Berrios and Hunter Renfro, of course, of course. past couple of senior bowls, and Chase Winovich. I mean, people just, when his name comes up, I'll get the DMs or, you know, people hit me on Twitter, oh, he looks like a patriot, right? And of course, I mean, high, does, water, right. high character type guy that just doesn't do one thing incredibly well but does the technically stuff at a very high level. I mean, you watch his hand usage. You see how he can put together pass rush moves. He's not going to blow you away with athleticism, but he's good enough that when you put that all together, he's a complete type player and a guy that plays through the whistle, a guy that doesn't give up. He's going to get you a couple of hustle sacks every single year. I mean, this guy just sort of screamed Patriot throughout the entire process. Damian Harris was maybe the most curious of the picks and, Let's not discount the Saban-Belichick connection. I mean, obviously, he must have gotten good reviews. I thought Harris was kind of a monotone player. But a, an alarm kind of went off in my head, considering the current depth chart at running back. Sony Michelle's knees. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think this is that hedge-type pick, right? Yeah. Where you have seen Michelle struggle 
with injuries last year. Pre-draft, that was the bone-on-bone issue with him. Now, maybe that was something that was floated around. Remember, it, it came via Mike Lombardi. And so you take that with perhaps a grain of salt. But if there is an ongoing knee issue and maybe his window isn't as big as we think in terms of the length of his career, this is a nice little hedge. Does some stuff between the tackles. Similar style of player, like one cut and go, looks for contact, isn't a home run hitter type guy. But they don't need a home run hitter type guy. You know, you might say that they have, you know, a James White that can bring that to the table. Who knows what they're going to get back from Jeremy Hill. You know, so they've got people that can do those kinds of things. So it's a hedge type pick. And probably, look, you come from an Alabama background. You're going to have some of the mental acumen. You're going to be running some pro style stuff. And so I I think they look at him as a guy that could, could probably contribute a little bit on special teams. And if something happens, let's not forget. This is a team that was running Patterson out there as a running back at different points last year when Burkhead and when Michelle were banged up with injuries. So I think they'd rather have an actual running back do that than a converted wide receiver. Yeah, you have that many picks, you know, someone in almost every spot. The offensive line, not only do they add Kajus in the third round from West Virginia, Froholt, a really interesting dude from Arkansas in the fourth which I think is my favorite part of their draft. But Isaiah Wynn comes back if I'm injury too. Like you talk about three guys that could be the foundation of this line for many, many years. I think that's going to happen. Their track record at developing them is so good. And I know there couldn't be different style players, but Fro Froholt reminds me of the Shaq Mason pick. You know, kind yeah. of an unconventional that they'll make work. Yeah, I mean, and when you've got Dante Scarnecchia in right. place to sort of coach these guys up, you're going to get the most out of these offensive line picks. You know, Kajus, fantastic, again, hedge, because Isaiah Wynn, first-round pick, everybody loved him, but they kind of thought he might have to kick inside because of a lack of length. He's coming back from an Achilles, and that's a tough injury for now a guy that's projected to slot in at left tackle and protect Tom Brady. And so you get Kajus, who could be – if nothing else, your swing tackle because you lost Ladrian Waddle, but a hedge against win maybe not panning out. Froholt, look, they'll have decisions to make going forward about Joe Thune. You know, they just signed Shaq Mason to a long-term deal, but Thune, maybe he, he doesn't get one. There's your potential backup there. These are guys. You could p- picture a scenario down the road, but three years from now, Win, Kajus, and Froholt are three of their five. Oh, I think it will be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so to get them – in rounds three and four this year to basically get an extra first rounder because Wynn didn't see a snap last year due to injury. Not a bad little haul. They finished up the draft with Jared Stidham, quarterback from Auburn, who I've said every step of the way I think is going to be a better pro than college player. I'm not saying he's going to be Brady's successor, but I like the pick where they got him, let him sit. Uh, Brian Coward, a defensive tackle from defensive lineman from Maryland, heavily recruited, a lot of talent there. Maybe they can mine that out of them. A punter who's actually right-footed, crazy, Jake Bailey from Stanford. And then they finish it with Ken Webster from Mississippi. Any closing thoughts on that that foursome there? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on Stidham. I think he will be a better pro than college quarterback. He's coming from two bizarrely different offenses, yeah. the Baylor system and then Gus Malzahn's offense. I think you get him in a time and a rhythm system like New England's. It's probably the best situation for him. And his biggest week of this entire draft process was the senior bowl playing for Kyle Shanahan. And there were times when you could have made the case that he was the best quarterback there. Just looked the best, looked the cleanest, throws the ball incredibly well. It just pops out of his hand. He looks great in shorts and a helmet. 
Like it's just a matter of transferring it. It's it's a head, it's a difficult bet to make based on the film we've seen. But you scout the traits, not the system. And I think this could pan out. I know Patriots fans are somewhat excited about it. I think Webster, the corner they took late, just an athletic freak type guy, mm-hmm. just tested out of the building. But you know you can never have enough depth at corner. And you have injuries and things like that, so not a bad flyer. Probably somebody that contributes on special teams. The punter, I think, was the upset of the week. You know, Patriots trading up in the fifth round to draft a right-footed punter. I don't think anybody <laughs> saw that coming. And that was the moment. Justice Mosqueda, who does such great work, now he's working for a scout over the XFL. When that pick was made, put out the tweet, it was like, Bill Belichick looked at his board and traded up to get a punter. The draft is over. Go spend some time with your family. Like, right. I miss you. Like, it was like, okay— Draft's pretty much over, everybody. It's time to go home. So, you know, look, the kid's got a big leg, and they just signed Allen, their left-footed punter, their current punter, to a one-year extension. Maybe we see a punter competition, and Belichick does this from time to time. He, one of their undrafted free agents last year, Corey Borquez, who's now the punter for the Bills, you know, they brought him in for a little camp competition. Maybe Belichick likes having two punters in camp. Sure, sure. And, again, it's funny because I was at the Steeler facility live during the whole, the whole broadcast, and it was, you know, leading up to it was, this is a deep draft. This is a deep draft. But it really felt like right around that spot, you know, 159 or yeah. 163 is where Bailey went, where I was like, anyone they take now, I don't like anybody out there anymore. Right. You know, like, it just was dry at that point. Yeah. I mean, that's when this sort of, you know, did dry up a bit. You're getting into that range where some of these guys are hoping the phone doesn't ring because they'd rather be a UDFA and pick mm-hmm. where they go, you know, rather than, you know, seventh round pick and you get no real say in the matter. Some of these UDFAs are signing better deals than the guys that get drafted. And so, you know, that's when the talent pool kind of thins out. Um, you're, you're really just taking lottery picks on guys. So like Justice said, that was the time to go outside, enjoy the fresh air, maybe do something <laughs> right. different, you know? Go race some leaves, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously we didn't. And we will be back next Wednesday, of course, with Mark. Tomorrow I have Mike Sando from ESPN. I don't think I'm going to keep the divisional things rolling with Sando. We might just go around the league and talk some topical stuff around the NFL. And then I'll be back on Friday to do another division. These have been fun. A lot of good responses from you guys. Over and out.